What's good, Rocky Peak, wherever it is you're watching from. Thank you for joining us for our weekend services, and I hope you're doing well. If this is your very first time, it brings me such joy to say welcome to Rocky Peak. We're excited that you're spending the service time with us this weekend. My name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm going to lead us in this time. So get ready for it. What you're going to want to do is you want to grab your Bible or want to grab your Bible app. And something we've been saying the last couple of weeks that if you haven't yet, we would highly suggest you download the free Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U, YouVersion, which you can get at the app store of your choice. It has multiple free translations. It even reads it to you, and the guy that reads it has a delightful accent. So I would love to encourage you to get that. So get your Bibles ready. Get your note sheets ready. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. Jesus, throughout this whole service, what we've been declaring is that you are a mighty king, You are a big king. Often I need to admit that my vision is limited when it comes to you. Often I can feel that the pain, temptation, sin in my life want to shrink you down. But I'm so thankful that we can gather as your church, that we can sing these beautiful songs, that we can open up your word, which is truth that shatters mine, that shatters our filters, and reminds us that you are bigger than I can possibly imagine. And not only that, you are a king that is present with his people in times of joy and sunshine. And in times of pain and suffering, you are here, King Jesus. And so as we open up your word, which is living and active this weekend, we don't need to ask you to speak because you already are. As your church, King Jesus, we are committing to listening to what you have to say to us this weekend. As I often pray as a communicator, I pray that I would become much, much less. Let me not be the focus this weekend, but you, the Christ Messiah, let you become much, much more. And it is in your name, King Jesus, that wherever we're at, we all said together, amen. Well, Rocky Peak, this weekend, we're gonna be concluding the series we've been in for the last several weeks called How to Cope with a Crisis. And really, the heart behind this series is that much, if not all of the Bible, was either written during a crisis, was written to describe a time of crisis, or was written to direct followers of Jesus in what to do during when they experience crisis in their own life. And so what we've been looking to do over these last several weeks is to go back to the Word, which is not simply ink on a page, but it is the voice of our King, and to look and be led by the Bible as we ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus during a time of crisis. Now, obviously, this crisis, excuse me, the series came out of a response to this global pandemic that we're all navigating and living with in our daily lives. And I think it would be appropriate to say that all of us right now are experiencing a dark season. And when I say that, that we are experiencing a dark season, it reminds me of something very true about myself. I don't like the dark. In fact, Rocky Peak, when I do some honest examination, it goes much deeper than that. I don't simply, I don't just dislike the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. And I want to invite you, wherever you're at, to do some examination. And I'm willing to bet that most, if not all of you, would feel the same way. Now, for clarity, I'm not simply talking about night. I'm talking about 
dark. I'm talking can't see right in front of me dark. I'm talking about lost in the woods dark. Now this not, may not be something that we dwell on, but when we find ourselves in a scenario that we would describe being in the dark, we rediscover, oh yeah, I don't like this, and in fact, I'm scared of this. And why are we scared of the dark? Because it's unsettling, because it's unknown. In fact, when I think of what I don't like about the dark or what scares me about the dark, one of the things I dislike the most is how it can take something or a place that is known to me. The dark can take a place that is safe to me, and all of a sudden, it makes it dangerous. Let me illustrate it this way, Rocky Peak. And so I want you to think about your living room, which many of you are probably watching this from right now. If you think about it, for many of you, your living room is one of the safest places you can imagine. Your living room is one of the most known places to you and, to in, and in your life. Now, I want you to think about the last time you tried to navigate your living room in the middle of the night without turning on any of the lights. All of a sudden, the darkness turns this place of safety and even joy into a death trap. Now, I'm sure you're feeling kind of the ghiblies as we talk about that, right? And what happens as we try to navigate our dark living room? Well, all of a sudden, we can't see, so we don't know where to go. And I don't know about you, but I feel dumb. I know this place, but yet I'm not sure, should I go in this direction or that direction? That then leads to another problem, that it takes this place that was once safe and it makes it a place of pain without fail. We will always misjudge how far the coffee table or how far the couch is. We will always forget that there is a step there and find ourselves in some type of physical pain. If you are a parent, when you're navigating the living room in the dark, without fail, there is always a piece of Lego to step on barefooted. And that is a, that is a terrible pain, unlike many others. But also, when we try to navigate a formerly safe place, like a living room in the dark, it creates fear. When I'm doing that, I understand how irrational it is, yet I find myself convinced that I'm gonna be murdered by the time I get across. And so, while I bring a little bit of humor into the situation, the reality for us this weekend is that a crisis takes our lives, it takes what we know, and it seemingly turns off the lights leaving us in the dark. And when we're in the dark of a crisis, there's not a whole lot that we can see, but what we do see is the danger in it. What we do see is the pain we experience, the loss, the suffering. What we do see is the fact that we lack or have been stripped of any type of control or direction. And there are many of us that have been feeling emotions in this season like that or similar to that, and if that's you, there's no reason to belittle or minimize what you're going through. But the beauty of why we're gathered here this weekend is that as Christ followers, that darkness, that season, that crisis, what we feel lost, trapped, isolated, is not the whole story. Rocky Peak, we're gathered this weekend because we get to celebrate a beautiful truth that even though we are walking in a dark season, we have a very real hope in the risen Jesus. And what I mean by that 
is that crisis, these times of darkness, was not God's original intent or his original plan for us. This happened because of sin becoming part of our world. But the hope we have in our Jesus is that Jesus is not waiting at the end of the crisis to meet us, but instead, rather than waiting for the dark to pass, we have a hope in a risen Jesus who has entered into our crisis. He has come to meet us in the dark. And what we're gonna discover today is that when Jesus meets us in the dark, it is to do his greatest work of unleashing a new life in us in the midst of a season of darkness. I think about last weekend when we gathered together in worship, the band sang a song called Another in the Fire. And I don't know about you, but I haven't been able to stop playing that song ever since. And there was one key declaration in that song, and it says that I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him. And so how do we cope in a crisis? By realizing that we are not left alone in the dark, but our Jesus meets us there. And so what I wanna do this week in Rocky Peak is I wanna unpack, dig deep into a scripture that really shows us this truth and so if you're following along with your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Jesus Raises Lazarus. If you've got a physical Bible, open them up. If you've got an app, turn them on. We're gonna be going to the New Testament, the second half of our Bibles, to the Gospel of John. Specifically, we're gonna be going to John chapter 11 for our time this weekend. Now there on your note sheets, I put that we're gonna be focusing in on a small section of a much bigger story. The much bigger story is about 44 verses. And as much as I wish I did, I don't have the time this week to go over all of it. So we're gonna be jumping in right about the midway point in the middle of this account. And so before we do, I wanna set up a little bit of context for you. This is an account of the life of Jesus that deals with a set of siblings, sisters named Martha and Mary, and their brother named Lazarus, brother named Lazarus. Now, what we're told in John's gospel is that Jesus deeply, dearly loved this family. And so what happens at the beginning of John chapter 11 is that the sisters send word to Jesus that they are experiencing a crisis. And that crisis is that their brother Lazarus is gravely ill. Now I wanna stop right here and ask you to emotionally connect with this for a moment. If you got word that someone you loved deeply was gravely ill and they're asking you for help, how do you think you'd respond? I'm not necessarily asking specifically, but I'm asking emotionally, physically, even with resources, you likely would respond immediately, right? And that's what I would expect out of Jesus as well. Somebody he loves is suffering. And so I would expect them to respond in the immediate, but what we see is that he does not. Now, from what we can gather, Lazarus passed away either right before word got to Jesus or either right after Jesus was told. And so it's not as if Jesus waiting is why Lazarus passed away. But still, he waits. And when asked why, he declares that it is for the greatest good and it is to reveal a much bigger King Jesus. 
And so now with a little bit of context, we're gonna be jumping in. So we're gonna be in John chapter 11, starting at verse 17. And again, it's me teaching, so I wanna encourage you, Rocky Peak, have your pens ready, have the highlight function ready, because we are gonna mark our Bibles up this weekend. And so John 11, starting at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Would you underline that? Four days. That's actually a significant piece of context. I'm going to come back to later. Verse 18. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Okay, so let's stop and unpack what's going on here. And so the reason why this indicator that Lazarus has been dead for four days is significant is because at this time, there was a belief or even a superstition, if you will, among the Jewish people that when somebody passed away, that their spirit or their soul, whatever you want to call it, would hover or stay near the body, potentially to re-enter it and resuscitate the person. But it was believed that once the body began to decompose, that the spirit would then leave and that would confirm that the person is truly dead. And that usually would happen at about the third day. So the fact that we're told that Jesus comes on the fourth day is confirming for John's readers that Lazarus is not in a coma, that Lazarus is dead. There is no resuscitating this. But why this is also significant for what we're talking about is now this crisis that Mary and Martha are experiencing has gotten worse. And so as Jesus encounters these sisters, He's going to be encountering people that are deeply hurting, that are suffering one of the biggest crises in their life that would say they are deep, deep in the dark. But we're starting to see the beauty of Jesus' characters. In fact, we're starting to see the beauty in his characters and maybe some unexpected description that John gives us. He talks about the fact that Bethany, the city where this was all taking place, is two miles from Jerusalem. Well, at this point, the religious leaders in Jerusalem had wanted to kill, to do harm to Jesus. And so coming near Jerusalem was to come near danger. In fact, when Jesus told his followers they were going to come to Bethany, they were afraid because they knew with how many Jews, they were told many Jews are there mourning, there's no way to keep their presence hidden. And what does this begin to show us about Jesus that we'll continue to see? that when it comes to his love for us, Jesus will enter the danger on our behalf. And so now for our time together, we're gonna encounter what I would say is the key interaction for our time as Jesus and Martha dialogue. So going back to verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Would you underline that? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And so as we read this, I'm convinced that it is far less a statement of anger 
And in reality, Martha is just expressing her honest grief. She's vulnerable, she's hurting, she's experiencing this dark moment of her life. And she's asking the questions many of us do when we find ourselves in crisis. Jesus, where are you? Where were you? You could have done something here. And again, I want to point out the character of Jesus that in this moment of Martha's deepest pain and what she might say is her darkest moment at this point, where is Jesus? There. Right there. Present with her. This is Jesus we're talking about. He could have comforted her from afar. He could have healed from afar, but he said himself earlier, then we would have missed out. And so what does he show us instead? That in this moment of deep pain in a crisis, he intentionally entered into her pain. And I want you to open up your note sheet because that leads to the first of two truths I want to highlight in our time in scripture. And your first fill-in is this, that Jesus meets us in the dark. How do we cope in times of crisis? By remembering that Jesus has entered into the crisis to meet us in the dark. Like I mentioned at the top, he does not wait for it to pass. Jesus does not go, man, I really hope that works out. Shoot me a note when it's all done. No, he intentionally enters in to meet us where we're at. I think about last week, when Michael was teaching and he told that account of the disciples in the boat experiencing this violent storm that terrified them. And if you remember, what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. In the midst of this raging storm, Jesus is calm and he is at peace. But I remember the reminder that Michael gave us, remember who is in the boat with you. There in your note sheet, I love how Matt Chandler puts it, he's a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but also several years ago, Matt Chandler had to deal with a near-fatal brain tumor. And as he writes, he says, the Bible isn't full of clean or happy living. You could argue that it's a book more full of tears than smile, and yet he continues, God is with his people through suffering and through difficulty so that they come out on the other side as a picture of grace and glory. And he uses them in their pain and changes the world through the results of their trials. And what I love about what Matt says is that we don't experience transformation simply at the end of our trials, but we experience transformation in the midst of the dark because Jesus meets us there. When we become aware that Jesus is with us in our crisis, that is what begins to change everything. And so as we continue, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so Martha is talking about a hope for the future. And see, even though she's disappointed, what she is saying is she's still acknowledging that she has a big view of Jesus. 
that at his return, when he establishes a kingdom, he will resurrect all of his followers. But in her disappointment, she's expressing that she feels as if she has seen the limits of what Jesus can do. See, often in our times of crisis and our struggles, we think through solutions that make sense to us. We think about this is the one way or the couple of ways that will solve it. And we often struggle as she is that if Jesus doesn't act in our solution, if Jesus doesn't take and run with our idea, then we feel the limits of his power. She's essentially saying, you could have helped then. You could have helped before. If you had been here when he was sick, you could have healed it, but now it's too late. And the honest truth is, Rocky Peak, me, so many of us, in times of crisis, we can relate with this. As the crisis grows longer, as we experience more pain and loss, we begin to wonder if we've hit the limits of what Jesus can do. And so what happens next, what Jesus says next, is profound. Verse 25 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you underline that, highlight it, put a massive box around it, arrows, anything that catches your attention. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks this question, do you believe this? And will you underline that Rocky Peak? Do you believe this? Because that's gonna be a key question for us later on in this time. And so what does Jesus say? What does he mean by this? Well, in the Gospel of John, there are about seven of what we call I am statements, which are, decla- which are declarations that reveal that Jesus is Messiah and reveal the identity, the characteristics of the Messiah. And so in this declaration of identity, what Jesus is saying is that he is king. And as king, he has the authority to do what I never could, which is to give life. By saying, I am the resurrection, Jesus is saying that he is the one and only king that can do what no one else can, which is to to give life through his authority. And as we see, he's talking about a much bigger picture of life than merely the physical. It doesn't mean that physically we won't suffer, deteriorate, and die, but he's talking about give life in the eternal picture. And what is so beautiful about this is that giving life, is that the power of resurrection is not what Jesus does, it is who he is. Jesus is life. And so what that means is that when we find ourselves in the presence of King Jesus, when we find ourselves experiencing Jesus, we are experiencing the life that only the the king can give, even in times of crisis, even when we feel ourselves lost in the dark. And then he asks this question, do you believe this? 
He is not challenging her on a disbelief. We've seen that she does have a big view of Jesus, but we are also seeing that her view of Jesus has limits because of the crisis that she's facing. And so by asking this question, what Jesus is not only asking Martha, but he's asking us today, do you believe that Jesus is bigger than what you see? Do you believe that Jesus is bigger than what you fear? Do you believe that King Jesus is bigger than the crisis we find ourselves facing? And so what do we see Jesus essentially saying? Martha, you expect a miracle of new life in the future. I am telling you that as King Jesus, I am here to give life now in the here and in the now by transforming you to see a much greater king. And that leads me to the second truth, to the second fill-in on your note sheet, and that's this. Jesus unleashes new life through the dark. Jesus unleashes new life through the dark. Again, while the dark was not God's intent for us, King Jesus will use it to unleash new life in a way no other teacher could and not in the far distant future, but by saying, I am the resurrection. He is teaching us today, 2020 Rocky Peak, that he has come into our crisis to unleash new life in each and every one of us, in the here, in the now. Rocky Peak, we need a resurrection. And our king, the only one that can, has come to meet us in the dark to give us that very need. Some of you need to be resurrected in your hope. Some of us need to be resurrected in peace. Some of us need to be resurrected in strength. Some of us need to be resurrected in purpose. Some of us need to be resurrected in community. Some of us need to be resurrected in patience. Some of us need to be resurrected in joy. Whatever it is, our king has come to meet us in this crisis to unleash, meaning not just give us a little bit of life, but to unleash means that this new life is now gonna envelop everything we are, overflow out of us and affect everything we now think and do regarding this crisis and allow us to now spread this hope of our king to those in the dark as well. He uses the dark to begin new life. And I love how there's a series of quotes there, puts it in your note sheet. The first from Barbara Brown Taylor, new life starts in the dark. Whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And in response to that quote, the next one is by a woman that's become my hero over the last year. Her name is Catherine Wolfe. And she's been an inspiration to me as I've read her story that in her 20s, she suffered a massive spinal stroke. And all these years later, while she still has many physical disabilities, she is filled with the joy of the Lord and is a model for how to suffer well. And in response to that first quote, she writes, and it does. 
as much as we don't imagine it that way and pray for anything but, there is new life and treasure and God there in the dark. We can trust him to share his gifts in the dark. And because of this, we have a boundless hope. And the final quote comes from a song that we've sung here often at Rocky Peak. You, Jesus, take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. And so go back to verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. If you're familiar with Martha from the other account of her and Mary, from Luke chapter 10, you might know Martha primarily as the sister who was too busy to spend time with Jesus. And that is a lesson we need to remember. But I think this is how we should remember her. She doesn't fully understand yet. Jesus is planting the seeds for an even greater transformation. She's in pain and confused, but she's choosing to trust the Jesus that is present with her and says, yes, I trust you, Messiah. This crisis is preparing Martha for an even bigger transformation. Our times of crisis prepare us for an even greater work of God in our lives. And so we're gonna skip ahead a little bit. Martha's gonna tell her sister Mary that Jesus is here and Mary is gonna come. And so we're gonna skip ahead to verse 32. And in verse 32, it says that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, essentially saying the same thing, sharing her honest grief and pain. And just like we saw with Martha, Jesus does not belittle her vulnerability. He does not minimize or chastise her for his authenticity. He is simply present in her pain. And it continues in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Would you underline that? Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Would you underline that? Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, it doesn't seem as if this is mockery. It seems confusion. Their view is limited. But let's go back to what we're being told here that Jesus is grieved. And this is extraordinary because Jesus comes into this crisis with what we don't have. Jesus comes into this crisis with the knowledge of how this is gonna end. Jesus comes into this crisis with the power to actually change the situation and do something about it. And even though he comes into this crisis with both those things, what do we see? That our pressure Jesus grieves our pain. 
I heard a pastor named Tim Keller put it this way, that what does this show us about Jesus? It shows us how perfect, how immense, how great his love is for each and every one of us, that in times of crisis, that in times of darkness, Rocky Peak, your pain has not been ignored. Your suffering has not been ignored. It has been felt by our precious Jesus And not only has it been felt, but our Jesus is enduring our pain so that he can unleash a greater work of God through it. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. And Easter is the ultimate example of how much Jesus loves, of how willing he is to endure our pain to be grieved by it, to unleash a greater work of God. And so as we move on from our time in John's gospel, spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And while many of us know that, if we're familiar with the account We need a bigger view of this miracle. What we see in this account of Jesus and Martha and Mary is that Lazarus is not the only person who received new life that day. What we see is that even today, all these years later, as we see this account, what was true for them that the resurrection, that Jesus who gives life meets them in their times of darkness to unleash new life is true of us now. The king has come, Rocky Peak, into our darkness to meet us and to unleash a new life. And with that, I just wanna say thank you for your word and amen to that. Now, like I said, we're gonna stop here in this account, but I wanna encourage you, sometime in the next 24 hours, would you carve out some unhurry time and read the entire account? Because there's a lot I didn't have the time to get into and more that reveals this beauty and power of Jesus. But what I wanna do with the time that we have left is I wanna unpack, continue to unpack this truth that Jesus unleashes new life in the dark. And specifically in times of crisis, there are three areas in our life in which Jesus specifically uses them to breathe new life in us in the midst of crisis. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled just that, New Life in the Dark. And the first section I wanna highlight, your first fill-in is this, authenticity slash vulnerability. authenticity slash vulnerability. And so in times of crisis, Jesus unleashes new life in us through a greater vulnerability. And what I mean by that is times of crisis actually provide us with an opportunity 
to speak to God with an honesty we normally wouldn't come before him. We often at Rocky Peak use the phrase with a radical honesty or a radical authenticity. In fact, there are many of you watching today that you would say that throughout this time of crisis that you have spoken to the Lord with a new rawness, with a new unfiltered way. There are many of you that maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, you have come before Jesus and just express your deepest fears. You have come to him with tears and sorrow. You have come to Jesus in anger over the situation or even angry at him. You have come to him in confusion and understand this is an opportunity for new life because this radical honesty, this authenticity, this vulnerability leads us to experience a bigger Jesus. And how it does that is that it shatters the lie that as Christ followers, we can only come before the Lord when we have our act together. That we can only come before the Lord if we're looking at the positive or the bright side or if we don't allow things to rattle us. And the reality is that sometimes we not only believe that to be true in our normal life, but we believe that to be true in crisis. That unless I feel as if I have it all together, I can't come before the Lord. In fact, this lie has gotten such a foothold in some of our lives that we view that lie as maturity. To be spiritually mature means that we always have it together. And what that lie does is that it shrinks Jesus down. It filters him in which we inadvertently view him as someone that can't handle our raw honesty. And so what did Jesus model for us in this account? That not only does vulnerability, does authenticity lead us to experience a bigger Jesus, but this act of vulnerability leads us to experience a deeper relationship with him. Authenticity is the requirement to grow the depth of any relationship, especially our spiritual one. And so what vulnerability does is that it opens our eyes, not just to the presence of God with us in these times of crisis, but it opens our eyes in a way almost nothing else can to the power of God in the fact that he can take us exactly as we are. Now, if you've been around Rocky Peak for any length of time, you know that often in my teaching, I like to go back to the Psalms in the Old Testament. They're considered the songbook of ancient Israel. And the reason why I find myself so drawn to the Psalms is because of this. See, we have 150 Psalms in our, in our scriptures. And depending on who's counting, almost seven of them, seven, excuse me, almost 70 of them are considered what's called laments, which are deep cries of sorrows. And they fluctuate. Some are community laments when the entire nation was facing a crisis. Some are individual laments. But again, why I find myself going to the Psalms is they allow us, they invite us to live a radically honest life before the Lord with both ups and downs. And I put there in your note sheet some examples of how vulnerable these Psalms get. 
Starting in Psalm 22, one of the most famous laments we have, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And as we prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter next weekend, some of you might remember that that's the psalm, that declaration of why have you forsaken me that Jesus quotes on the cross at the time of his deepest suffering. The next example is from Psalm 44. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Look at the next one, Psalm 88, which I learned just this week that there are many scholars that consider this the saddest psalm out of the entire collection we have. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkest is my closest friend. We are reading the words through scripture of people in deep crisis. And I want to ask you, before this crisis, would you ever imagine yourself talking to God this way? But this is in our Bible as a model. This is an invitation for how we deepen our relationship with King Jesus. I think what's extraordinary is that if you're reading these Psalms, the three examples I gave is at the very top, there are musical instructions because these were meant to be sung as songs of worship. Could you imagine worshiping in this way? It's not something we find ourselves doing often. And yet, what do we see from the first songbook, essentially the first songbook we have in scripture is that the laments are songs of worship. And again, it's an invitation to see a bigger Jesus through authenticity and vulnerability. And so as we go through each of these three sections, I wanna ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Rocky Peak, when it comes to authenticity and vulnerability, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is looking to open your eyes further to see a much bigger king through a new level of authenticity and vulnerability. Another way of looking at it, are you accepting his invitation during this time of crisis to develop a new honesty with him? And speaking of honesty, Rocky Peak, I gotta, be on, I gotta just share from my own life that this is an area that over the last few weeks, the Lord has really been growing me in. See, I've mentioned before that one of my tendencies, one of the thorns in my flesh, so to speak, is I have a tendency, I have a quick tendency towards fear, worry, and anxiety. And as we think about this pandemic, we find ourselves navigating, it definitely has brought so much of that back to the surface. If you've been part of Rocky Peak over the last year, you know 
that I've been coming out of a significant health crisis before this pandemic happens. And so that has brought fear into my life as we go into this crisis. I have experienced anxiety and worry like many of you have about friends and family that are considered more vulnerable with what's going on with this virus. I found myself tempted to hide these fears from Jesus or to hide how severe I was afraid with what was going on. And I remember it was two weekends ago when Michael kicked off this series and he talked about this fear and he challenged us to write down what we're afraid of, to examine the root of it. And I took him up on that and I got to say, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to do. It wasn't easy to acknowledge. It was uncomfortable. It was painful. But when I was able to bring it to light, I began to experience new life. Because through that vulnerability, Jesus met me in the dark. So that's the first area I want to cover. The second area is this, dependence. That next fill-in is dependence. Meaning that in crisis, Jesus unleashes new life in us through a greater dependence on him. Man, times of crisis are really good at stripping control out of our hands, aren't they? But not only that, have you noticed that times of crisis are really good at revealing the illusion we choose to live that we had that much control to begin with? It's in times of crisis that I become very aware of my limitations. But not only that, it's in times of crisis that I, it's in times of crisis that we, Rocky Peak, become aware that we have found ourselves dependent on various things for our safety, for our joy, for our very lives that are not Jesus. Times of crisis reveal what it is we put our dependence on. And right now in a crisis such as this, many of us are realizing that we had been dependent on what it is we could predict and control. We had found safety and life in our plans, our strategy and ideas. We had found safety and life in our routines or our rhythms. We had found safety and life in our institutions, in the places we go. We had found safety and life in the relationships, the friendship, the family, the romantic relationships in our lives. And hear me clearly. Those can be good things. They can even be some of the best things, but none of those can give us life. What it means to be dependent is to place our trust on the only person that can give us life, and that is King Jesus and so in times of crisis, there is an opportunity to develop a new dependence. Because as I mentioned, times of crisis have a way of showing us how limited we are. Dependence shows us regularly how not limited Jesus is. There in your note sheet, I put from Matthew chapter 6, in the context Jesus is modeling, he's teaching us how to pray. It's very famously called the Lord's Prayer. And there you see that he says as an example, give us today our daily bread. 
And this metaphor of bread is what we need to live. In fact, it's not simply what we need to live. It's what we need to thrive at our daily life. And understand what he's teaching us through this model is that, yes, the daily bread can encompass the practical needs, but it goes much bigger that what we need first and foremost to live and thrive is the presence of Jesus. And so whether it is a season of good or a season of darkness, we are always in need of more of his presence. And Jesus is teaching us to ask for that each and every day. It can be easy to attempt to give Jesus our futures. It can be easy to kind of give him Costco bulk shopping of our lives. But what we need to remember is the future has not happened yet. I don't know what tomorrow holds. All I know is this day is this moment. And it's in that that I remember that Jesus taught me to be dependent on him now because this is all I have. And do you know what the beautiful thing is about dependence? Dependence is maturity. Dependence is how we mature as Christ followers because we mature through his presence. We mature by experiencing more new life. And why does this need to be daily? Because anything less than a daily dependence on our source of life means that we are separated from Jesus. And when we are separated from Jesus, we are separated from the life that he gives. And so times of crisis are an opportunity to develop a new dependence on our king. And so again, I want to ask his question, Rocky Peak, do you believe this? Will you allow him to open your eyes to a bigger Jesus and a more beautiful meaning of dependence? And so as you examine that, what is this crisis revealed about what you've been dependent on? And what opportunity is this crisis giving you to develop a new dependence now? Again, as I share from my personal life, about a week ago, I think it was last weekend, I found myself having a sleepless night. I found myself very burdened and stressed. There was a situation that had come up in my immediate life regarding this crisis, and it worried me. And I was trying to come up with a solution and I found myself more and more restless and frustrated because nothing I was coming up with seemed to be the answer. It seemed to be working. I was trying to do this on my own. And finally, I was struck. Who am I? I can't do this on my own. And in prayer, as I'm staring up in my ceiling in the middle of the night, I go to King Jesus and I say, Jesus, I need you. Not just today, I need you in this moment. I can't even turn off my mind by myself. Jesus, I need to declare that you are king of this moment. And I am utterly and beautifully dependent on you. And through that, 
I began to experience a new life. I like there in your note sheet how Tim Keller puts it, that when the darkness lifts or lessens, when we find out that our dependence on other things besides God for our happiness has shrunk and that we have new strength and contentment in God himself, we'll find a new fortitude, unflappability, poise, and peace in the face of difficulty. The coal is becoming a diamond. I love that. And finally, the, th- the last fill in the third area is worship. Is the area of worship. And meaning that in crisis, Jesus unleashes new life in us through a greater understanding of what worship is. See, we need to move beyond just thinking that worship is singing. And hear me clearly, that is a beautiful aspect of worship. But I like to put it this way, worship is how we live our lives. It is choosing to live in a way that is regularly declaring that Jesus is king. And through that declaration is regularly placing our lives under his leadership. That is what worship is. And it's in times of crisis that we have the opportunity to expand not only how we see worship, but how we engage in worship. We've just talked about two ways that maybe we wouldn't have called worship before, but vulnerability is worship. Dependence is worship. But this crisis is also growing our worship in another key area, and that's how we understand what it means to be the church. Rocky Peak is not a building in Chatsworth, California. Rocky Peak is living, breathing people who are imperfect, yet are following, learning to listen and follow the leadership of King Jesus in their lives. And so while we have been socially distant, as Michael's been saying, we are not spiritually distant. Wherever you are watching this, you are the church. You are standing on holy ground in a park, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your living room, because you are the church. And what we are learning is that our worship cannot be contained to one building. Our worship cannot be contained to one house in our life groups, but our worship is wherever we go. You know, it's been beautiful as we've started this journey of live streaming, of online services. Many of you didn't know what to expect. And to be honest, we didn't really know what to expect either. But I know that many of you were excited to engage with Rocky Peak over this, but there was a reluctance in you. Many of you came into this going, this is awesome so I can stay connected, but the experience isn't going to be the same. And what has been so beautiful is that we've heard over these last four weeks from so many of you, you say the same thing. I did not expect to experience a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And yet there it was in my kitchen, in my living room, during times of worship, during times of teaching, I felt the Spirit of God move in my life. Many of you felt the same way about the digital life groups as we get ready to start a new session. 
that you were reluctant, that you were nervous, but once you started doing it, you began to realize this is still a powerful connection, that distance, crisis will not keep the body of Christ from worshiping together. And what is so beautiful about this rocky peak for our future, this is the beginning of a new season of worship. And so finally, do you believe this? Do you believe that King Jesus is looking to open your eyes and grow how you see and engage in worship? I like how that final quote puts it there in your note sheet. And yet now in the soil of our pain, God planted a new story. He showed us that our weakness would be the channel through which he would show his strength. And so as we end our time together, I just have one last thing I wanna say. Right now, I am speaking in an empty worship center. And like many of you, Rocky Peak, I am eagerly anticipating our physical homecoming. I'm anticipating the day in which we get to see each other again in person, in which we get to fill this room again. I don't know when that will be, but I do know this, that when we are able to return, when we have our eventual homecoming, this room here is not meant to be filled by the people we were. When we come back, this room is meant to be filled by a people that have been met by Jesus in the dark and have been transformed, have experienced a new life through the power of our King. And so before I pray, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on out to close our time with one last song. And I wanna echo something that Michael said at the beginning as he opened this service that wherever it is you're watching, I wanna encourage you to engage in this time, whatever that might look like for you. Like he said, for some, it might mean standing and closing your eyes. It might mean receiving. It might mean kneeling. For some, it might mean putting your hands in the air or at your side. For some, it might mean holding a loved one tight as you sing together. For some, it might mean dancing and moving around your room. But whatever it is, let us end our service celebrating the fact that in this dark time, we are not alone. And our King has come to unleash new life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, Rocky B. Jesus, you are here. You are here and we declare that. You are here in our lives. You are here in this crisis. You are here in the dark. You are preparing a new life and a new work in one that is going to set the foundation, that is going to lead us on a journey that is gonna last long after this crisis has passed. Jesus, what you are teaching us, what you are unleashing in us is not simply for this time, but it's for our next season. It's for the next chapter of our lives individually. It's for the next chapter of our lives as a church. And so Jesus, we come to you and we admit that we are scared, that we are lonely, that we are worried, we're angry, we're hurting, we're confused. 
but we know that you've heard us. We know that you feel it. We know that you haven't abandoned us. And while we may not fully understand, let us find a peace that surpasses all understanding here in your presence. And so as we sing this final song, as it declares that you are for us, that you are for us, that you are for us, let that be the cry of our heart long after the, worship, the music is done. It's in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, amen.